Welcome to Merflies, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. I am Greg Gurry. And we have made it to season 11. I know we said we would never make another episode after season 10. I think we did at least. But we are here with season 11. We lied to you. And we are here for a super fun season. Right up front, we're very happy to be back. The Patreon is going to be back up as a little front load thing. Greg, I think you're better at explaining what this, the actual structure of it is now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I always felt like we over-engineered it. So what we've shifted to now is pay what you want. We're going to have a minimum of a lanyap with every episode, which is a 10 to 15 minute edition. We're going to do bonus episodes. We would like to do monthly, but just like cards on the table, we found that's very hard to sustain. So we don't want to sell you a false bill of goods, but there will be multiple bonus episodes throughout the season. So you will get the 10 lanyaps for the 10 episodes. You'll get a couple of bonus episodes and we're just going to try to sweeten the pot some other fun stuff. Donate what you can, give till it feels good, all that good stuff. It's got to feel real good. Everything else, you know how to find us probably. Uh, Rumor flies on pretty much any podcast platform, Twitter, and yep, that's, that's, that's it. Anyway, today's episode, we are going to be talking about traffic myths, which I think is a first for us. We've touched on things that are semi-tangential, but this one's specifically relating to something that is on the road at some point in time. And our topics are going to include anything from being able to change a stoplight at your own convenience. How? We'll find out. Uh, you could have potential dangers from flashing your lights at a car in the middle of the night that doesn't have its headlights on. Don't do that, supposedly. Or do. We don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll find out about a ancient rumor. By ancient, I mean like maybe two decades defunct now. About how to get better gas mileage. We'll also be talking about a potential killer in the backseat of a car. And then Josh's super secret topic that he didn't want to tell us about but i trust that he's not gonna take advantage of our good faith in him stick so, around and find out folks with that being said are you guys ready to jump in let's do it all right first topic of the episode guys you ever been in a rush where you really need to get to the store before it closes you need to pick up your to-go order before the restaurant closes before the food even gets cold or you maybe just really need to take a shit so badly that you need to get through this stoplight to the point where you want to break some traffic laws in order to get to your destination faster. Of everything you just mentioned, one of those is way more directly impactful on my life than the others, and I will leave that to the discretion of the listener. There is a running but rumor yes. that I have heard... <laughs> Not only flying, on, flying rumor. Even. Yes, that, that I've heard on the Internet and also among friends, even where I didn't say anything when they said it, but I just <laughs> um, was like, I'm writing this down for our notes. So if you have and said this and you know me, it's nothing personal, kid. I just wanted to cover this. The myth is, can you change a stoplight from green to red at night? By shining your high beams. Josh, Greg, have you heard of this yet? I heard of this when you were like, hey, can you guess what someone just said? And my and I will give my initial reaction was that doesn't sound correct. Like, I don't think that's how any of this works. I've heard different things to get it to turn green or like not high beams. That's actually the first time I've ever heard that one. Wait, but wait, I've heard your high beams, you're bright. This. So this is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even talking about the terminology. I'm saying like people identify other mechanisms. This kind of reminds me of when you're at a crosswalk and you hit the button and people just keep hitting that damn button over and over <laughs> again because they think it changes faster. But in reality, it's just a time loop and there's really no purpose for it from what I've told. We should have probably looked into that thinking back on this. That's another topic. <laughs> we for have a land yet. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard this from multiple people at once all talking about it. So... It's not something that I'm quite aware of. Maybe it's a regional thing. Well, I, I was going to ask that, Ryan. Is this multiple people that live in the same region or thinking about or it? Different yes, areas I, I, or what? I don't want to like spot focus it, but yes, it's not where we live. It's uh, generally okay. in the U.S., just a little bit more Western, but not God's country. Got it? Yeah, exactly. 
I just kind of it made me like really think about this because I I have like one one of my senior design projects for when I was doing electrical engineering was to actually actually no, it wasn't senior design it was just for um, general basic uh, circuitry was to make a traffic light setup out of a couple of chips and uh, lights and it was based off of basic like timers and counters and such. But it uh, was an interesting thing to learn. And in order to really understand how this can be true or not, I feel like it's important to talk about how traffic lights work in general. There are probably some very unique systems across the board, but there are three main ways to operate traffic lights because these things are kind of keeping the chaos off of the roads as best as possible. And the three primary ways that traffic lights operate are... Number one, fixed time signal switching, which means that if it is a generally less trodden traffic area, like let's say rural roads or something like that, or a small town, and there isn't a whole big system to worry about, the main highway stays on for 30 seconds, and then the side streets that intersect this main highway are 20 seconds. It's going to be longer than that in general, but it's just kind of an example. It just keeps switching back and forth between them. And then usually it splits it up evenly or they take polls and figure out like what has the most traffic for these. So what's going to have the most cars having to get through in order to stop bottlenecking. And then they just time it simple enough. The second way is by having cameras sitting on the top of some stoplights to detect if there are cars that are showing up at that stoplight. And then that can like, plug into the equation of how often this should change or when it should change or not. Like, yeah, sure. This is going to be green for God knows how long until a car pulls up to the red light and the intersection. And then it will be like, okay, so now we can start switching to yellow and then to red. And so the other one can switch to green and it'll keep doing that and keeping account pretty much of the cars that it sees or anything like that. Uh, pretty simple motion detection. Uh, and the third system is the most interesting that I was completely wrong about before I actually looked into this episode. Have you ever have you ever been at a stoplight and you see like this kind of like square cut into the ground to some degree uh, right near the front of like the, the line of where cars should stop? I've always no. thought that... So usually if you go to some stoplights, you'll see little parts of the uh, ground, especially around here and in New Orleans where you will see like a little piece in the ground that looks like it's cut out. And what I thought that was, was a pressure plate for like weight detection for a car. So like um, a person on a bike wouldn't trigger that, but a car would. So that's why you have to drive over that section. So the sensor would know that there's a car on top of it and detect that there is a car there and you should start switching signals. Go ahead, Greg. I'm with you. I follow that logic. I've heard similar to that. And that's part of the thing I've heard about making traffic lights change but i've heard it's more like a radar it's like a it's a it's a proximity thing is what i've heard not that not like is like a sensor that is closer it is a sensor but it's much more interesting than just a pressure plate it's called inductive loop detectors induction is a concept in electrical engineering or just you know electronics in general where you can transfer electricity between the air from one section to another it's how transformers work it is making voltage step down or step up from one voltage to another um, in any given electrical system. It's how a lot of chargers work in general. There's no actual connection between these two wires. It's using electromagnetism. And depending on what the windings are, like, you know, let's say 200 windings on one side and then 10 windings on another, that's going to be a 20 to 1 conversion, like a step down transformer to make sure you don't like blow up your phone with the amount of current going through it. Very simplified way of talking about it. But these like invisible electrical fields that are made by electricity running through these wires can be interfered by other metal coming into contact with it. And that's called an eddy current that's interfering with something called inductance, this electromagnetic field that goes through every wire that has anything running through it. It's also Faraday's law. Don't get too worried about it. But if you look at the show notes, I kind of have a chart that is demonstrating this. These little spots that I was talking about are not pressure plates. They are little cut-ins into the ground where they have electrical loops run into the ground that are constantly putting out an electromagnetic current. And if a car's metal comes into contact with it, it will drop the inductance that is detected 
on the other end of this box like from one end to another by the time it gets to the loop if it detects a change in what it should be for the regular inductance if there wasn't a car there that's when it knows that it should start actually sending a signal to the stoplight to start going from yellow to red and then going back to green it's a pretty cool system i think it's much more helpful than anything like a say uh anything like a pressure plate because for a pressure plate you have to have like a certain weight threshold but you have stuff from all the way from like semi trucks to somebody on a bike with this inductance loop you can pick up a bike too assuming that it's made of any sort of metal it's pretty efficient can i ask this question yeah so just just to put it in josh terms here it's like a force field yeah it is like running and when it when it when it senses a disturbance in the force, it changes. That is a very well done way of saying it. I was, you know what? I'll just say, I, here's my source. I went to the Federal Highway Administration's description of this in their like handbook they had for traffic lights. And it says, quote, The inductive loop system behaves as a tuned electrical circuit in which the loop wire and lead-in cable are inductive elements. When a vehicle passes over the loop or is stopped within the loop, the vehicle induces eddy currents in the wire loops, which decrease their inductance. The decreased inductance actuates the electronics unit output relay or solid-state optically isolated output, which sends a pulse to the controller signifying the passage or presence of a vehicle. Um, Josh's description was a lot better. I'm just going to say that right now. It is a disturbance <laughs> in the force. That's the best way to put it. That's the easiest way to put it. But getting back to the main topic... What do you think headlights have to do with any of these systems? Really nothing. Yeah, so like light, well, I don't want to say that because someone's going to get mad. But I was going to say off the top of the dome, UV light, you know, like something like, like, like that's admitting light is not going to force a disturbance like in the force, to put it simply, yes. like in my head. That doesn't make sense. Uh, here's where people are going to yell at me, but I will say in general, photons have a relatively minimal impact on any sort of eddy currents that would affect an inductive loop. That's not going to yeah, be that's a what thing. I'm saying. However, so if we were to stop right there, it would be, no, this is complete bullshit. We have come across a technicality, Houston. The second system that oh. I was talking about was the cameras. These camera systems occasionally have an EMS system figured out into them, where if these cameras find... 14 flashes per second, they can detect that it's an emergency vehicle, a.k.a. an ambulance, uh, a fire truck, or a uh, police car. And it will actually throw an interference into the system and have it switch faster for the sake of those emergency vehicles. Now. Okay, so so if you're one of those people that goes up to a red light and you start flashing your lights, that is equivalent to being that person that gets behind the ambulance when people part the way to let them through and they just take off and follow them the whole way. You're a bad person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that is the uh, way that this can be kind of bypassed and kind of true. If you're able to flash your high beams 14 times in one second, sure. Sure, but I don't think anybody can do that. Prove me wrong. <laughs> now, I will say this. There are ways that you can do this. There are things called mobile infrared transmitters, which will send out a 14 flash per second signal to a camera that you can install in your car. However, they are illegal. <laughs> you can get them oh, for about $300, okay. but if somebody catches you with them, it's kind of like the radar detectors and everything, the bypass for, like, you know, the, the finding speed traps. Technology is constantly, like, cat and mouse of, like, the law enforcement trying to detect the detectors, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, this is, uh, the these MERTs, M-I-R-Ts, are completely illegal, and th you should not put this in your car. But you absolutely can, but don't say that I didn't warn you about this. Um... Long story short is that uh, your headlights by themselves, <laughs> just two flashes at a stoplight is not going to work. I'm going to say that this is pretty much bullshit with the technicality yeah. that you can figure it out if you really wanted to. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I would put that in the false category as well, man. Like that's this is that this is in the false bucket. Yeah, this is such a niche way to make it true. I, I just I don't think that like logically and like realistically and practically that's not. It's not a thing. It's not, you know, unless you're cheating with, you know, 
whatever the Mertz or Hertz or rent a car, whatever you said. Mert. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh, that's me. You are up. I'm passing the baton. Actually, I'm pa- I have the red light. You have the green light now. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm interrupting the force. Now, uh, the first topic I'll be covering is never flashing your lights at a car without its headlights on. It could lead to some pretty dire consequences. There are many rules of the road, as we can all attest to. You must wear your seatbelt. You must stop at a stop sign. Uh, little known fact. Two short, concise actually... beeps. Two short, concise beeps if somebody is not paying attention at a stoplight when it turns green. You don't do a long beep. Is that, is that... Two, yeah, two, like, friendly, like, hey, fucker, go. Not like, go! Now, now, here's the question, though. What is the time frame? Is, Excuse is, me, fucker. Is it like, do you wait three seconds? Do you wait five seconds? Is it a count to ten? Like, what's what's the duration of, okay, you know, come on, come on, come on. You know when someone's not looking at the light. You yeah, know. yeah, I, I, I'm with you. But um, you little know. known fun fact, you're supposed to use your blinker <laughs> when you want to signify your intention to change lanes before doing so. Not just as a way to assert dominance that you're just changing lanes and get out the way. A lot of people still working on that one. So uh, just to, just based off my experience. So I, I just, just make to sure to leave know. a blinker on at all times so people just stay away from me. Don't get too close to me because they think I'm about to change lanes at all time. But I'm not actually. I'm kidding. I don't do that. You know what, Ryan? Keep them guessing. Put them both on at the same time. <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait, you can do that. <laughs> 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 okay okay <clears throat> moving on okay but there have been times uh when drivers have flashed their lights at me or actually i have flashed my lights at someone one reason has been that um in particular my lights weren't on one time i i forgot this was before my my car was super cool and had the automatic setting and I had to manually turn my lights on i remember i was driving on the interstate it got dark my lights were not on i forgot to turn them on someone flashed at me i'm like oh shit my lights aren't on boom Great, great way to, to, to enforce safety and everybody moved on. It was great. Uh, another reason to signify uh, your lights or like flashlights at someone is that a cop is ahead and it's a way to let other drivers know that there is someone that is shooting radar to let them know. And it's a lot more cheaper. Uh, it's a lot cheaper, excuse me, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. than uh, getting a radar detector. If there are any people in law enforcement listening to us right now, you didn't hear that. All right. Uh, fun fact as well, if you see a motorcyclist tap the top of their helmet, it is the same thing. A lot of people don't know that. What? Like If like you're, you're going one way, a motorcyclist is coming the other way, and they take their head and they pat the top of their helmet, it, it is the same thing as like somebody flashing their lights of you as in there's a cop ahead. I did not know that. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, there have been stories uh, like this about flashing your lights at someone and they'll chase after you, like me- meandering around the internet for some time. Like anecdotally, this goes back to like the 1980s with the Hells Angels in California. And this is, the story goes essentially that if a dark colored car without its lights on is passing you in the opposite direction, and you flash your lights at them, it could be a gang initiation where they track you down and shoot everyone in the car. Pretty awful, right? Brian, you have heard this, I believe, when we were discussing this episode, correct? Several times. Yeah, I think I was the one that brought this up, but I, I, I have heard this even before, like, um, social media, I guess, you know? Like, it was always a forum thing, like, an early stuff of just, like, that is one of the... Not even like rumors. It's an urban legend. I think that is in the canon. That's probably like an old yeah. chain email. I bet. I bet you there's a chain we'll email get to floating it. around. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I know a very, sp- I, I know a very <laughs> no specific. Ur- I don't. I hope this really isn't treading on you too much, Josh. But I know a specific urban legend where like one dude had to do his initiation or something like that in a gang, and then he ended up shooting his own like gang leader in the same oh. situation for the initiation no it was really dumb i don't think it was true though josh i'm really disappointed you missed the don't trade on me greg it was right there. there i was trying to be the bigger man and not do it <laughs> but i'm so glad that you are not <laughs> well lucky for you i'm a very small person <laughs> have, have you heard this though greg about the gang initiation and the flashing lights 
No, not really. I've heard flashing headlights associated okay. with drug deals. So th- there is, uh, that's one of those things where, you know, game of telephone, it kind of changes up, I'm sure. It, that's, I, I'll, I'll count that right church, different pew kind of thing. So, but, but how true is this, right? There is some lore that actually backs this up. And in the show notes, I have a Facebook post from 2017 from a community policing manager. No, don't ask. I have no idea what that job title is, but it is a real letter. And the letter states that it is part of a gang initiation for the street gang known as the Bloods. And the letter reads, quote, in order to be accepted into the gang, prospective Bloods have to shoot and kill all individuals in the first auto that does a courtesy flash to warn them their lights are off. I have this in the show notes. You can go check it. It is a picture of a letter from this community policing manager. Now, to be fully transparent here, because I know this question will arise from somebody, this letter does come from an area in South Africa, and I am not sure how the Bloods community is uh, how prevalent they are over there. So <laughs> is the Johannesburg chapter of the Bloods. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, please write in if you have any information regarding this matter. Reach out to us on Twitter, and uh, we we can have a discussion, and we can you can educate us on that. But um, I was able to track down some very credible sources. In fact, one of them being a 2006 NPR morning edition where commenter Judy Mueller attended a press conference held by a member of the Blood Street Gang, a single man simply named Bloodhound, for the purpose of addressing this rumor in particular. So I was super excited to find this because never in my wildest dreams did I think I would find such firsthand source of it okay so mr bloodhound actually reads an email out loud signifying basically the same thing about flashing your lights at somebody being part you know and they'll kill you because it's part of a gang initiation whatever then he looked straight into the one camera that was present and said quote we believe the police put this out there to make us look like criminals fair enough (laughs) uh i mean yeah i mean okay yeah who am I to tell? It gets it- better. <laughs> okay. It gets better. It gets better. When pressed further about the issue, because it had been circulating for some time, uh, Mr. Bloodhound actually looks stunned. And uh, I would like to read the exchange as follows. Mr. Bloodhound, I have to say, looks stunned. I didn't know that, he said. Yes, I replied, but I'm still fascinated that you think your gang was slandered. I mean, you're not exactly the Boy Scouts. No, he said, that's true. Adding, we're not the Masons. We don't have a 501c tax-exempt number, but every group has extremists that give it a bad name. Why, after Hurricane Katrina, he boasted, the Bloods bloods gave blood. So, straight from the horse's mouth, this is false. (laughs) And just in case you were not convinced even more, I have one more source, but I just want to take a second here to back up the fact that Mr. Bloodhound brought up the fact that the Blood Street Gang doesn't have a 501c tax-exempt number. It means they tried to get a 501c tax-exempt number at some (laughs) point. That's where I was going with this. (laughs) That makes me so happy. (laughs) So I I just needed to point that out. Now... The, the last source I have on this is um, from a representative for the National Gang Center, which is a governmental organization coordinated by the Office of Justice Programs, the OJP, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, the BGA, BJA, and the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention, the OJJDP. And that seeks to suppress gang-related crimes and they were asked specifically what the initiation into the Bloods street gang typically looks like. And I'm going to quote again here, quote, initiation rituals are very based on local gang culture, the spokesperson said. The Bloods, not one singularly structured national gang with a standard operating procedure, including initiation rituals, meaning that there is no set 
standard of what they do to initiate them inside the gang. And this is not something that would happen. So straight from Mr. Bloodhound's mouth, they don't do this. And then based off the people who follow these type of organizations and study them and try to prevent these things from happening, say that this also is false and didn't happen. So we will put this in the, in the false category. Please continue to flash your lights at fellow drivers when alerting for an issue and also use your goddamn blinker. So yeah. that's that topic. Well, thank you, Josh. That was uh, very informative. <laughs> Greg, I believe you were going to take this next one. Why don't you do it, bud? Okay. So this is a fun myth with a relatively straightforward answer, but nevertheless, it's like really, really interesting. There are several variations of it. And most of what I found, though, kind of reduces it to two presentations, a tragic story or just kind of a general words of wisdom akin to check your kids Halloween candy for razor blades and poison. Shout out to Halloween Myths episode. It's like season four, episode (laughs) nine. (laughs) I actually have no idea what episode it is, but I'm sure season four, episode nine is very lovely. So one popular version of the story involves a woman driving alone at night. As she's driving, a suspicious truck keeps flashing its high beams and tailgating her, uh, which makes her nervous. And she starts trying to kind of get away or, you know, maybe takes a different off ramp, whatever, just kind of uh, evading a car. When she gets to where she's going, usually it's her home. She is surprised to find someone was hidden in her back seat and is now either going to kill or rob her. Turns out the scary truck driver was actually trying to help her. What a turn of events. So this is basically the myth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What the fuck? I, what is with podcasters now only drinking out of mason jars lately? I'm sorry. This just ha- I, I've been drinking I, out of mason jars for like, like five years. The QA podcast. <laughs> just, I know it's a two-person stamp. Everybody just drinks out this, of I've fucking mason jars forever. now. What's the deal? I like this one because it's 35 I ounces. drink out of free cups that I get from Cane's. You know what? Do it like a proper person. Go to Mardi Gras, catch a couple of plastic cups, then you have like all of your like you know proper drinkware for at least a year, I think. Oh, good. those are the majority of my cups. That's the majority of what I drink out of. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, Greg. I'm not a barbarian. Continue. I, I didn't mean to single you out. So the point of this whole long-winded story, before even telling you what the topic is, is it's, do you need to check the back seat of your car? That's basically the myth. The idea is that someone might have snuck into your car when you get it at night. Usually it's nighttime. Its story always involves women and men saving As the day, it of should course. be. Don't need to unpack that. But you, you look in the backseat of the car and uh, there's probably someone there to murder you. There are other variations of this. As soon as she's in her driveway, the terrified woman leans on the horn to summon her husband. At that point, the driver who was scaring her before jumps out of the truck and runs up to her car. He jerks the rear door open, pulls out a man who is lurking in the back seat with a knife. Then the trucker explains to the woman and her husband that he'd been blinking his lights whenever the would-be assailant started to raise his knife to attack her. There's like all kinds of variations of the story. I've got like a bunch of versions here, but the, the longest short of it is... Woman driving home, usually alone at night. She either makes it home and there's someone there to murder her. She, The truck driver is able to help her. There's some versions where she stops at a gas station and, this, and the attendant makes her come inside and calls. And the guys, it always has some weirdness where the flashing of the high beams made the person hide and that's why they didn't kill her during the drive. Although I'd imagine that would be more of self-preservation. But anyway, a bunch of variations can, can of I, this. Can I push back a little bit already? Yes. We all know that a good guy with a gun would have stepped in and done the, the right thing. Absolutely. That's all we yeah. needed. That- a good guy with a gun would have shot straight through that windshield without questioning it. Just, you know, it just would have been a thing. Well, no, he would have shot the knife out of his hand. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. The expert Duh. marksmanship. Just also, this is like the uh, roadway equivalent of checking the shower curtain when you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I still do that, so don't hate. I'm not. I didn't say anything negatively about it, all right? And I also check the toilet before sitting down because I've seen Australia. Yes, I, that's totally a thing. Water moccasins <laughs> do exist here. That was like a lot at once. We're going to kind of dive a little bit into where this story even comes from because that's right, folks. We might Ooh, have an hold up. Tonight. Hold up. Is it Ted Bundy? Ooh, good. That's a good poll. Wait, why are you? What, anyway, um, no, I was thinking just because like that's how he like got a lot of people. It's just by like saying he had problems with his car or something like that. He never did that exact yeah. thing, but it kind of like has a flavor to it of just like the the vehicular distress type of situation. And then yeah. 
So this story is actually pretty old. And not only that, the meta discussion like we're having right here is also old. This has been a myth that has been unpacked several times, actually. So like I was finding articles about it from the 90s and from the 2000s, literally asking like, oh, where did this story come from? Is it true? So there's this really fun kind of rabbit hole I went down where every five to 10 years, I either found another telling of this myth or some article Are you about referring this to? Myth. Okay, so you're referring to somebody hiding in the backseat and not the myth, not the myth of a good guy with a gun. Someone hiding in the backseat. There's actually a very good Wikipedia page about this myth, and unlike most Wikipedia pages, it's not quite so clinical. It's got like a vaguely narrative flair to it, and it actually covers the subject very well. So Dope. I will say straight up, check out the Wikipedia on this. Snopes covered it in 2000. There's an early article for them, and I found an article from 1991, and eventually I stumbled across possibly the source. Let's address a few things before we get to the source. This is like, this is one of those ones that's kind of funny as a rumor, right? The, the question is, is it true? Well, the answer is yes, this has happened. I, say, I imagine that this has happened before. Like, this, this is within like one of those reasonably plausible ways that unfortunately somebody's been put in this situation before. Yes, and so I found a couple of um, stories. In March of 1990, a man was spotted in the back of a woman's car in Bloomington, Indiana while she was going through a drive-through. Luckily, he got caught, basically. Someone saw him and he like got out of the car and ran, okay. right? Um, in 1935, Holy uh, shit. in the Palo Alto Times, there's a headline, man lurking in back seat, slugs girls, hurls victims to the ground, steals car and purses. At 2.30 p.m. on December 14th, 2019, a stranger broke into a 53-year-old white man's car and hid in the rear seat in order to commit a burglary. I also found LAPD, their like crime data. There's MO code 1303, hidden in rear car seat. Since 2010, there have been several dozen incidents. No shit. Interesting. So it's rare. You don't need to live your life looking in the back of your seat, but there's actually a code. There's, it's actually really fascinating because I've had this conversation with my dad who, who works in law enforcement before about how there's different codes for different things. And like something as simple as like going, like burglary is a code, like, you know, it's code one, two, yeah. three, four, but there is a particular code for a burglary into a church. Like it, that, like the little nuances and differences have their own code, which then it has its own penalty that comes along with it. It's, it that's just fascinating, too. I, it's kind of a tangent. I'm sorry, but Co it's interesting. It does have its own code. Code 2619. Uh, alligator loose in grocery store. That's real? No, I mean, I I, I assume so. It's happened before. I, I, I was going to say, it doesn't surprise me. That's That's how believable it is. <laughs> So to trace this back a little bit, I know I've been kind of all back and forth across. I really couldn't decide the order I want to present the information in. So y'all are just kind of getting the Greg Tilton stream of conscience. Hey. So <clears throat> this story, there's kind of like the source, I feel like is actually kind of two answers. This story in like 1982, there was a popular column, Ask Ann Landers in the Chicago Sun-Times where someone asked about this. Oh, We've we haven't come across that in a while. So she addressed that I actually forgot we covered her so good catch there someone asked her about this on her column and a lot of people think that's like really helped spread the myth further the theory uh, that David Mickelson and some others have is that there was a case in 1964 that's vaguely similar to this myth essentially and so David Mickelson and others theorize that this is actually the origin of this entire thing um, the kill in the back seat in 1964 in New York City when an escaped murderer hid in the backseat of a Mickelson. car. Huh? What did you say? I said allegedly David Mickelson. We don't know oh. at this point. <laughs> yeah. David Mickelson and others <laughs> allege that this might, you know, this is their theory that this case in 1964, an escaped murderer hid in the backseat of a car. The car ironically belonged to a police detective who shot the man. Though the differences between the legend and the true occurrence are vast, uh, the real occurrence did not feature a lone female. It didn't happen at night. There was no guy doing the flashing headlights. Like all this other stuff was not really a part of it. Basically, the they think that this real incident, which was pretty well known, might have like created this fear. Um, so I mean, that's like a famous scene in Halloween. Well, I was going to say not? it's it's a, it's actually a TV trope. Danger takes a backseat. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that that's that's like a horror movie trope. Yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Tropes. So like this is like a very this is like 
a true urban legend. This is like something you could probably grab anyone off the street and they've heard some variation of this at some point. Well, also it's because it's got planted in your head so much just from seeing stuff like horror exactly. movies or just about any other TV trope that like you think that that's, it, it, you get see, you get it seen so much in your head that why wouldn't that be an actual thing? Uh, yeah. And why wouldn't that be a feasible way to do stuff or anything like that? But the thing is, is like, what bothers me about that whole theory is maybe, you know, also the potential killer or whoever um, wouldn't be thinking about this either because they're already making bad decisions. But either you're going to end up at the place where the person was last seen or the place where that person said they were going. So, I, you know, that's just not the way to, like, uh, really carry out one of them crimes uh, if you were going to yeah, be yeah, smart yeah. about it. So, well, I hope all that rambling made sense. But yeah, it was just kind of this interesting thing to unpack where it's like there's this history of the story and then there's the history of all the people unpacking the story. So it's actually a like really interesting subject and like I, I almost kind of wish I had like more spot focus this, right? Like I feel like this could like not its own episode, but it could be a like 30 minute exploration easily. Like like a fully fleshed out yeah 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 the more it gets brought up the more it evolves that's just the way a lot of these things happen so it's just uh yeah i was like art imitates life imitates art imitates life imitates you know it's it's the exact same concept well that's the thing is that so for the gang initiation josh i wanted to bring this up i i was thinking it's not completely unbelievable to think that like due to that rumor being so prevalent across the decades that sure, maybe some gang eventually did try to do that as like a initiation at one point. I, I apparently that didn't happen, thankfully, but I can see that totally being a thing of just like it life imitating art. And then, yeah, it's just getting its own life. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't have surprised me if something had actually popped up at, in I'm, real life, even I'm, in the current years. Well, I'm sure this is this topic, like the killer in the backseat, similar to the gang initiation thing, in that I'm sure it's hap like it's happened before. Like it's it, it's had to have happened before, but it's not something that like happens frequently or it's super prevalent in like everyday life or anything like that. Which is why, because I'm assuming Greg, you would put this in the false category as well. Um, that's the thing. Like it's kind of a weird one, right? So like. It's false in that no, you don't need to be checking the back. Yeah, but it's not. It's not to the T. Like there was right. this one exact yeah. case report of this is how versus the Halloween yeah. one where like the razor blade thing. They're like yeah, yeah, that. exactly. Like there's no documented yeah. case, right? Am I pre- am I pretty sure of that there's no documented case of anything? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There we go. So uh, it's false, but with uh, flavors of true to it. Sure, you know yeah. the best type of lie. Right. So. Okay. Okay. You should worry about it in the same way you should worry about, I don't know, pick some obscure way of dying. Getting struck by lightning in your <laughs> Just, car. I can't, I can't come up with a good example, so whatever. Moving on to the next topic, we got ourselves a conspiracy. Uh-oh. One that is a... It's not a conspiracy that's exactly as much in the forefront of everybody's minds anymore, but there's a reason for that. Forever, there have always been a way to try to, like, hack your vehicle, hack your computer to get better speeds, you know, on your router, get, you know, better sorts of um, just bang for your buck. And, of course, transportation would apply to that more than almost anything. And there we're going to be covering the long history of fuel efficiency, essentially. And the main one that I want to hone in on is the idea of the miracle carburetor. And have you guys ever heard of this? It wouldn't, I I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't, because the last like actual threads I could find this were on like above top secret.com, which is still around, but it is well past its heyday. Well, I didn't know that it was even still a thing. So that's, that's good to know. It's I occasionally like to pop in on and just be like, who's still on here? And um, you wouldn't believe what conspiracy theory is very prevalent on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, I'll, I'll say this. There is some truth in the sense, at least in my mind, that optimal fuel efficiency isn't true optimal fuel efficiency because there's so much money involved in it. So like from that regard, I can wrap my head around it. 
Do I think so, that there is like somebody, you know, like an easy way to make sure that we all get, you know, 300 miles to the gallon in our cars and it's readily available, but you just, it, it's, it's just so on the hush hush and, and not allowed because that, uh, th- that these companies would lose so much money type of thing. Like, I don't believe that to be true. So you're more like so, thinking yeah, that that's... there's a lack of incentive to give us the best. It's not necessarily deliberately withholding. Yes. Yes. Kind of the, thing. Yeah. The long, the long story short of it is that, yes, you guys are kind of on to before I explain the whole sort of conspiracy, but it's the idea that throughout history, there have been several people, whether the name be Tom Ogle or Charles N. Pogue or Mike Shetley, they have all made some version of a carburetor that can get anywhere from 100 miles to the gallon to 300 miles to the gallon. And they have all been kneecapped because the interests of big oil have wanted to make sure that, you know, they're selling as much oil as possible. Right, right. Now... Okay. The idea that oil companies have done some conspiratorial things is not necessarily wrong. There are legit shady things done by the automotive and oil industry, like, for instance, uh, GM monopolizing the streetcar industry and then destroying most of the streetcars to keep their cars selling. Totally happened. And then also, like, the the story of the ill-fated uh, GM EV1, which I believe has its own documentary, like, Who Killed the Electric Car? That never made yeah. it to market in favor of more profitable and immediate ventures like the Hummer. Or Chevron buying up patents for electric car batteries and did fuck all with them. That These things do happen. So I'm not saying that there isn't any sort of situations where there is some really shady industry stuff. The EV, like, buying and dying stuff, I've heard many times. I've heard many variations of them just yeah. buying anyone that's even remotely close to cracking something vaguely useful. It is well documented at this point. Things have changed, obviously, in the modern day, uh, especially just with, like, certain legislations that have been announced recently that have not passed at the time that we are recording this. But it could actually incentivize electric cars being more out of the market. So things have changed. But, you know, especially so is this idea of the miracle carburetor. Now... Uh, what is a carburetor? Uh, does anybody want to take a crack at it or you just want me to go ahead with it? Just go with it. A carburetor is a way of delivering fuel to the engine of any general um, vehicle, lawnmower. You know, it could be a car, any sort of combustion engine. And what it is is essentially a chamber that has uh, a little bit of a choke point in it in two different ways. I kind of did that in an accidental pun. But it's a way of getting fuel to the actual engine by having this one little narrow chamber that closes in a bit more to make negative pressure. So once a piston goes down an engine, it will pull out the fuel from a little spigot coming from the fuel tank going into the carburetor by means of like negative pressure. And there are two little valves on both sides of it. There is this, the general valve for like when you hit an, uh, like rev an engine, it will open that valve more so more air can go through. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the chokes that you can get a whole lot of fuel in there to start the engine for the first few cycles. That's the long and short of it. It's just the valve that uses um, physics in order to get fuel into an engine so they can combust and josh you have talked about this three times in case in order to get a fire you need the fuel oxygen and you also need an ignition source yeah yeah yeah. so yeah. would you say give me this fuel, is the way give me fire give me that which yes. i desire ignition source <laughs> oh. uh, yeah higher and higher uh but so <laughs> so you need the perfect mix for that. And that generally that's what the purpose of a carburetor is. It's getting a nice mix of oxygen fuel and that ignition source all in one place so that the pistons can keep going and keep moving the engine along. This is generally not used anymore. I'll get into that. But the idea of this whole conspiracy is that there have been at least three times where somebody has come up with a patent for either an engine or the carburetor itself by different means that would make it much more fuel efficient to the point where you can get 100 miles per gallon off of it. And I'm going to use the one most uh, famous one, Charles Nelson Pogue in 1935. He's a Canadian, God rest his soul. And he filed a patent called the Winnipeg Carburetor, which used a vaporized version of the fuel in order to 
properly deliver it over to the engine. And supposedly it was so efficient, he could get anywhere from, depending on the story you're hearing, 100 to 200 miles per gallon. Now, the issue with this is not necessarily his design, because this patent does exist, and we will have it in the show notes. It just never got used. Everybody says that he got knee- that it got kneecapped and then it got bought up or something. No, it's still out there in the patent office, and it can still be built by anybody, even sold by anybody if you want to. However, the issue is that the supposed way this works kind of breaks the laws of thermodynamics, particularly the first one. Um, the first law of thermodynamics is pretty much U equals Q plus W or mu plus W, depending on what I'm looking at here. Mm-hmm. Essentially what it means is that in any chemical system of energy, uh, that system, a closed system will equal heat plus work. The work that is done is the actual energy during this combustion of this fuel that will push a piston down. And the other section of it is the heat that is uh, released from this actual combustion. No matter what you do in any sort of situation, if you are burning fuel, you are going to have heat wasted out onto the engine block or on, as just general exhaust. There's no way around it. That's just how burning things work. Yeah, I'm with and you. Most and most older engines and such at the time when this is a big conspiracy got about, about a maximum of 30% efficiency, meaning 30% of that system for when you do that combustion will actually do the work of pushing that piston. Mm-hmm. So if you have 100,000 BTUs, as an example from a website that I have cited, um, 70,000 will go towards just heat, and then 30,000 will go towards the actual combustion. It's really hard to get past that threshold. And a lot of the debunkings that I've seen from this are, for a good reason, from the late 80s. And this guy is named Mike Brown, and I'm just going to read straight from his website. The first problem is that gasolines in use during the days of the mixing valve were far more volatile than the ones in use today. Some of you may remember when you could stand 10 feet away from an open pan of gasoline, light a match, and watch the gasoline immediately catch fire. So that shows how old this article actually is. We have talked about like having a lit cigarette by a uh, gas pump. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. We've made fuel so that it is a very slow burn thing. It's not going to combust and blow up from like, you know, wherever. The Zoolander scene is generally not going to happen. Gasolines were changed in the 1930s with the advent of the catalytic cracker now used in petroleum refining. Carburetors like the Pogue, which depend on easily vaporized gasoline, simply will not work in today's gasolines. Because generally they're made to be much more stable and they are not, they're more dense. They're just not going to turn into vapor as easily. Well, so that's kind of uh, where my brain went with this is like the act of changing that from a gas to or from a liquid to a gas too is like a huge undertaking and something that would like that could cause a lot of problems and you'd be taking your car to be fixed by a mechanic a hell of a lot. Yeah. The second seminar taught error is the method using exhaust heat or radiator water to heat the fuel to the vapor point to extend the mileage. Warming or preheating fuel does have some value, but it's limited. Consider using hot water from the radiator to vaporize the fuel first. Mm -hmm. Today's gasolines do not completely vaporize until they reach 450 degrees Fahrenheit heat. While the maximum temperature in water in today's pressure radiators reach only 250 degrees Fahrenheit, you can't just heat a substance to 450 degrees Fahrenheit using a 250 degree Fahrenheit heat source. So it just doesn't work in that sense. Can Um, Can I also say something here too? Yeah. Um, the ability to basically use that radiator as like a heat exchanger is basically what they're saying. Uh, that is just not practical. Uh, taking something no. that operates at a much lower temperature like that and then trying to boost it to do something, you're going to melt everything. It just it won't it will not work. Yeah. Also, uh, from another article, the vapor carbs inventors are trying to solve a non-existent problem. According to John Haywood, a professor of mechanical engineering at MIT and an authority on internal combustion engines. Incomplete burning of fuel is insignificant in modern cars. Fuel combustion today typically exceeds 97%. While it's true cars aren't very efficient, only 25 to 30% of the fuel energy is converted to to useful work, that's mostly due to heat loss through the engine block or the exhaust pipe, an unavoidable energy loss during burning itself, Mm -hmm. as I had stated earlier. Mm -hmm. So 
that's pretty much the long and short of this. Now, there have been a bunch of experimental cars that have been put out that have gotten 100 miles to the gallon or even more than that. Like there was a uh, Volkswagen that was, I think, like 239 miles to the gallon or like maybe 329 from switching the, the numbers up. It was a lot. And there was a whole bunch of conspiracies about like, you know, it being kneecapped or anything like that. It only went to Europe because that just wasn't a thing that would be accepted in the U.S. by big oil companies. But really, most of the time with these type of uh, cars, with the exception of like literally the last five or six years, has been the fact that they are fuck all expensive Mm -hmm. um, to make these. Also, there's two more things to this conspiracy. Number one, the carburetor is not the end all be all fuel mileage. Mm hmm. There are other things like the powertrain efficiency, there's the weight of the car especially, there's the tread of the tires, there's the shape of the car and its aerodynamics, there's a million different things. It's the whole system that makes something fuel efficient, not just the carburetor itself. Just keeping your tires topped off. For anybody that is actually a car nerd, uh, to any degree beyond me, which is almost zero, I, I, cars are fine, but like, you know, I'm not into them that much. I like That's them a hot to get take, Ryan. Cars are fine. Yeah, alive, you know. Cars, cars yeah. are fine. You heard it here, folks. That's, That's the hill you want to die car- on? Cars are not fine, but right now we don't have many other options, especially where we live with a giant widespread city that has been, like, there's no good public transportation. Fair. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that if anybody is aware of cars at the moment, carburetors aren't exactly a thing anymore in modern day cars. Mm-hmm. We have something called electric fuel injection systems that somehow still are not getting 100 miles to the gallon. These electric fuel injection systems are very, very specific with their sensors in making sure to get the optimum mix of fuel to air to any sort of heat source that is going to combust this. Mm-hmm. Uh they uh, carburetors are completely analog they are just mechanical they don't even have any like true like automated parts or anything like that that's why they're still on like lawnmowers or very small vehicles you took the so words maybe out of my you mouth. can figure out how to get maybe you can figure out how to get like 100 miles to the gallon lawnmower but big oil is preventing you from doing that try putting one of these you know pogue uh or you know other sort of carburetors on the lawnmower sure maybe that'll work i don't think so though and also i just it i don't think it's number one relevant anymore but also these patents were never bought up by any sort of big oil company or anything like that they just weren't used because there have been several people that have made their own the patents are out there i'll show you exactly how to do it and there have been people who have written into other like car shows and such saying i made this and guess what i didn't get 100 miles to the gallon on this car Mm mm-hmm it's just not something that works in the terms of the law of physics. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of conspiracies or conspiratorial things that have been done by oil companies and car manufacturers, but this is not one of them because, well, they didn't really find it necessary to do it because it doesn't work in the first place. It wasn't going to end their whole situation. Um, so I would say this miracle carburetor is not a thing. It's fake. There are plenty of other things to worry about, but this is not one that is in the cards for something that can be taken extremely seriously. I would love to see other um, literature to read up on, but it did. please send me whatever you have. Yeah, I, I'm legit about that. We will readdress it, but I have not found anything to say that these Our next video uh, miracle we're build an engine. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> Oh, rather our last video segment yeah. we're going to build an engine i was going to say our final <laughs> the gang my builds god. an engine oh my god <laughs> we will have somebody that we will designate to post the video with our Don't consent let me anywhere near it i'm oh. no so, jesus christ that's my conspiracy corner for the evening josh do you want to round us out oh wait, sorry that's my conspiracy corner for this episode josh do you want to round us out you did it he yeah. time stamped it I love it. I love it. Also, shout out to Ryan for working. Oh, and in I'm that editing conspiracy this. this is my problem. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Ryan for working in uh, the, a conspiracy into traffic myths. Uh, uh, we're we're very very proud of you for that one, Ryan. Now, when discussing this episode, I I did want to bring something to the table because especially with traffic myths, something that uh, I figured would be very pertinent and important, at least to me um so i'm i'm going to apologize to you guys if you don't uh, if you don't agree but I, I wanted to talk about cars and their effects on the environment now call me a liberal shill 
but I do believe in climate change and, you know, things just needing to be better. Hot take, I know. All right. I'm not going hot to- take. Uh, That's fun. <laughs> hey, you got what I did there. Uh, I will say that like that. I'm not going to go completely down that rabbit hole. This is the, but this is this is fun. This is this is a, this is a good topic. Don't worry. And Ryan and Greg also have no idea what this topic is, because when we were discussing this, I'm like, hey, I thought of something. I think it would be better if you guys had no idea about it. Um, not that you ever normally do, because we don't really discuss topics or anything like that. But I really wanted to get like a, a organic reaction from you guys when talking about this. Like I said, that the whole climate change thing, that's a whole other topic. It's a whole other set of issues. But I did manage to find this really fascinating statistic that I thought would fit perfectly here and something that is very much in our wheelhouse. Now, I do not remember where I saw this. I'm like 98% sure it was Twitter. So my apologies for the person who posted this. But I saw an interesting statistic correlating the exhaust from cars and in birth rates. <laughs> so in a, a nice sexy bow, the gist of it is premature birth rates and or low birth rates. So both of them actually. So premature and low, low birth rates have decreased in recent years in certain areas of the United States due to a particular piece of, of technology. One particular thing has decreased premature birth rate and low birth rate. Do either one of you want to take a guess what that is? Yes, I do. The catalytic converter. Ooh, that's an actually really good guess. Incorrect, but good. Greg? Oh. Automatic versus manual transmission. Also a very good guess, also incorrect. Uh believe it or not. I have no idea. Believe it or not, it is nothing to do with the car itself. Okay. <laughs> it's easy pass. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I have called this topic easy pass ruins children of men. Okay. So here's the statistic. <laughs> the rates of premature birth and low birth rate in areas around these toll plazas went down between 10 and 50% because cars were no longer idling to drop off coins, so they were producing less exhaust in the area. They reduced premature birth rate by 11% and low birth rate by 13%. Josh, what? not to call you out, but you were a preemie. I, how many no, easy? Bro, how many like toll places? I, I, I'm going to get to that. I, yeah, I'm a pre I, I was born 10 weeks early. Matter of fact, I'll say this now. One out of every eight children in the United States is born premature. 12.5%. You hear Whoa. that, people? We need to prevent more Joshes. We need to get everybody. <laughs> we need to get this birth rate on, on schedule. All right. Only you can prevent Joshes. <laughs> Fucking right. That's our next shirt in the shop. <laughs> so uh for those of you that don't know easy pass i guess i should have explained this from the top easy pass is something that when you pay a toll to get on a road or a plaza or a bridge or whatever it may be easy pass is this automatic counter whether it's a toll tag or something that you stick in your car you drive through it without stopping and it reads like an rfid uh tag or whatever and um it deducts it automatically from your account and you just you never stop you just keep on going through that is what easy pass like florida has it texas has it oklahoma has it i think california has it um it's all over the united states the implementation of easy pass has in fact and this is true is 100 true reduced low birth rate and premature birth rate so as I said, I was born 10 weeks early. I hold this issue very near and dear to my heart. Uh, but in fact, this hasn't gotten better as I'm talking about premature birth rate. It has not gotten better as technology gets better. It continues to go up. Matter of fact, like over the last 30 years, it's gone up about over 30%. So sadly, this so is also one real quick. Go ahead. Low, low birth rate and premature birth rate, I assume are two different. Yes. Like buckets that probably have a two like a lot of different factors that affect one but not the other and vice versa um but it's kind of like a uh uh oh shit what's that with the circles a venn diagram like yeah there's factors so there, are, there is that slim there's a slim lane where it can affect each other and it's showing that this easy pass has affected both of them yes yes okay so sadly Premature birth rate is one of the leading causes of death amongst newborns. And what makes this so fascinating is that 
and this is something I never thought about until I started doing this research, pollution is something that we can study very well in babies, but not in adults. See, with adults, we have previous exposure that comes into play, and babies, as I mean, you can assume, don't. So they're a really good metric for this. I, that's something that was so simple, and I'm like, oh my God, this makes complete sense to me. I, I, maybe I'm just a little slow in the uptick there, but I, I do, I'm not going to keep you guys along with this, but I do want to put some numbers for this. So after analyzing birth records, records, researchers estimated that among 30,000 30, births to mothers living within two kilometers of a toll plaza, don't ask me how long that is, that's not American, 255 premature births and 275 low birth weight births were avoided. In dollar terms, researchers estimate that savings was between 9.8 and 13 million dollars. Million with an M. That's Fuck. pretty impressive, honestly. Fucking bananas, bro. It's crazy. So I, I know what someone is saying, and yes, you are correct. You cannot simply quantify the value of a human life. I'm with you there. And the savings are not between 9.8 and 13 million it's infinite in that regard because of the benefit i'm with you but i think actually putting a dollar amount is a really great framework and gives you great context uh but the, well, if you're trying to get a bill passed sure <laughs> yeah I mean, it's true so health implications for premature babies can be like in the most severe cases like cerebral palsy learning disabilities like vision problems hearing problems like there's a myriad of things that could happen and it just it, it it's even more terrible because it, it could all be avoided but I, I will leave leave this there because like i could really go deep into the weeds on this and like i could have really gotten heavy into pollution problems and those effects on babies and pregnancy and people of color like there 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 is that is a whole myriad of topics that are really interesting but i just wanted to keep it short and sweet for the sake of time because i know we're getting long in the tooth here but uh it was something that I wanted to cover, and I hope that you guys found that fascinating, but uh, I do want to close out with this. So remember, kids, capitalism <laughs> capitalism saves lives, and don't let anybody tell you differently. Gosh, Josh, <laughs> I just, I don't know if I can put that. Can, I'm editing it. We'll find out what happens. <laughs> piece of shit. I couldn't fucking help myself. I could not fucking You're help myself. Absolute utter piece of shit. <laughs> But isn't that fucking crazy? Something as simple as Easy Pass having that kind of effect on an environment? My fucking jaw yeah, dropped. Yeah, I mean, it also kind of ties into a little bit, like something that's not mm. as much in the public psyche anymore, but um, the lead crime hypothesis is something that I've always mm. wanted to at least talk about on this show and then find a, a reason to talk about it on here. But that kind of works into it. I know that we don't have like as much leaded gasoline anymore going around, but... If it was still around and then that easy pass thing happened, it would also be interesting to look at like certain like domestic violence rates and shit like that, because that, uh, there's a lot to dig into for that theory. And it seems to be more supported as the years go by. Uh, but that could have factored into it if easy pass existed back when leaded gasoline was more of a thing, too. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we are so glad to be back for season 11. It's really weird to say that we're on season 11. I don't know about how you guys feel about that. As I was writing my notes out, I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 11 seasons now. 11 years, man. 11 years. <laughs> how time flies. 11 goddamn years. <laughs> Over um, 1,100 episodes. Just like how a lot of people think we're on what? Our, uh, 1,100th episode? Our <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, never, that's never not going to be funny to me. No, never. Uh, I do so want to say... I just... <laughs> They have already 600 episodes. Wow. I'm just like, yep, 600. <laughs> Skipping some numbers, counting by decades. It's a super secret Patreon tier. If you donate enough money, you get our secret backlog of 500 or 900 episodes that, over the shit that we have. That's how money hungry we are. Yeah. For every one episode that we have on the main feed, we have the best of the best. You're only getting and the, the best. In the Patreon. <laughs> For every season we do, there's 90 hidden episodes. 
Oh, oh shit. My God. Uh, I do want to say, no. I do want to say that uh, thank you guys for sticking with us. I know that last season kind of ended kind of weirdly. Things got really difficult um, <laughs> as far as like scheduling and timing, but uh, we are getting back into it. We're going to be backfiring uh, things off like our, on our normal schedule. So don't worry about that. And I just want to say thank you all to our Patreon members who have uh, been joining lately. I've been seeing that we've been getting some, some more people uh, strolling in there. So thank you guys for that. Yes. Uh, also, be- and uh, real quick, anybody that um, came into here after hearing the uh, Q&A Anonymous episode that I did on Mankind United, thank you very much for joining. I've already seen like one or two comments talking about like, uh, what was it? Uh, the Mandela Effect episode. So I'm glad you enjoyed it and welcome everybody. We are a lot more chill than the general <laughs> graveness of cult stuff. So just, you know, take a seat, have fun. And be sure to join our Discord. We got that going on. Be sure to check out the educated. If you show up at the right time, you might be here for our recording. (laughs) (laughs) Be sure to check out the educated mess network and all the shows on there. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, Greg. I'm still laughing about that. Is there anything else that we would need to say in closing? Um, Kisses. Fuck you, Greg. Okay. Uh, well, I guess for this episode of Rumor Flies Season 11, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. Last I checked, I'm still Greg. Hey, goodbye. Bye. This podcast is a member of the Educated Mess Network. 